This month's guest was once late to school because he was in the car with his mom jamming out to CCR. And by the way, it was preschool. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. Devin Dawson gives his mom full credit for his love of music. He says that while she didn't play an instrument, she did play music all the time on the radio, the stereo, a huge variety, too, and all of it seeped down into his musical soul. Devin is a songwriter who co-wrote God's Country, which has been nominated for a CMA and ACM. He's also a singer, opening last year for Tim McGraw, who, Devin says, inspired his latest single, I Got a Truck. He's also the first songwriter I've talked to who spent a few years in a death metal band. Devin Dawson, thank you for being here on Write You a Song. No worries, dude. Thanks for having me. Um, I said this is a, a second ago, but it's nice to dial a 916 number, and um, hopefully you, you guys enjoy talking to a hometown boy, and I'm excited to talk songs with you. Always. And for those who don't know, you know we, this uh, podcast originates in Northern California out of the KNCI studios it's a country station that's been in sacramento for a long long time um and recently this area has been kind of a hotbed for up-and-coming country artists uh tyler yeah, rich man. and john party and devin dawson and uh mm-hmm. it's really really cool to uh to see and to hear i feel like people don't realize how rural or how country california is like i say like um you know i sing country music and i write country music like where are you from I'm from california like oh really i didn't know that there's country music out there, and I'm like, yeah. have you heard of Johnny Cash? Have you heard of Merle Haggard? Have you heard of Dwight Yoakam? Have you heard of Buck Owen? You know what I mean? Gary <laughs> like, Allen, yeah. And then Gary Allen, John Party, me, Tyler Rich, Cam, Brett Young. Yep. It's like I could go on and on and on. And so I think it's just part of an awareness thing, man. Country, it doesn't matter where you're from. It's, it's all over, you know. Um, but we're just, you know. I'm proud to be from the West Coast. I always like when I, I, I see a, a bio of you or like, you know, an intro to, to an interview, they always reference that you grew up in the shadow of Folsom Prison. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that started, but like, I mean, I'm okay with it. If I can be in the same sentence as Johnny Cash. Right. I mean, I'm, but, but Orangeville literally is five minutes from the prison, you know, and right. um, it's interesting because it's got such a historic cultural reference, especially to country music in California with Johnny Cash, but it's just like, I didn't think anything, it's just the prison I grew up next to, that was just the prison, like, you know, and I think it took maybe me moving away to realize, to get that perspective on maybe how much it shaped me or how, how lucky I was to be from that area, I guess. Well, also, I think, though, again, for people who don't know California real well, particularly Northern California, it's it's sort of a, a hook to place you kind of within their uh, frame of reference for, you know, okay, uh, Orangevale, it's near Folsom. Folsom Prison, Johnny Cash. Yeah, you know it's what I a mean? word they hear. Exactly. It's something that they can um, put together. Yeah. Uh, but- I mean, it's crazy. I don't even, some people don't even know where Sacramento is. And I'm like, yo, that's the capital. <laughs> So I just end up saying San Francisco if I'm down in Georgia or something. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, West Coast, best coast. Just leave it at that. There we go. That's all that needs to be said. So let's let's start at the beginning. Always a good place. You're growing cool. up in uh, in Orangevale, which is kind of a, a rural suburb of, of Sacramento to a degree. But Correct. Uh, you, yeah. you uh, early on, you've talked about your mom uh, was listening to country music a lot. You have a great story that you share from when you were, I think, five or six years old, and your you, my, your mom was driving you and your brother to school, and you had uh, Creedence Clearwater oh, Revival yeah. cranked. Yeah, I mean, she's always been the biggest music lover, the biggest fan of music, the biggest, you know, um, just studier of music, um, student of music. And so, you know, growing up with anyone like that, like, I'm just going to learn to love music. And she has the biggest record collection I've ever seen still to this day. A lot, a lot of country music, a lot of rock, a lot of soul, a lot of R&B, a lot of everything. And that's, you know, my sonic identity, my sound is shaped by the way I grew up listening to it, you know, what I grew up listening to. And it's, it's a lot of different things. And I, I pull from a lot of different influences, but yeah, there was a time when I just, for some reason, that story just sticks in my head. I remember she was dropping us off at preschool or something or kindergarten. Which, and by, by the way, the, the preschool is in the shadow of Folsom prison. Yes, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally right in orange row there. And, uh, I was behind bars during preschool. Yeah. <laughs> My dad jokes because he's like, every time somebody says an interview, I get I get closer and closer to the prison, which is funny. But <laughs> I do remember her like dropping us off, and like we were a little late because my mom is just one of those always running late kind of people, and um, I love her, but she, you know she is. And so she she said, when, when you go in, just tell your teachers that you guys were 
blast in CCR and they'll think you're the coolest kids ever. And um, so John Fogarty, obviously another Northern California, uh-huh. like there was a, an element of maybe not country, but just roots kind of rock to their, to their sound, which I would put, you know, part of in the bucket of country music with the, just the instrumentation. Um, obviously it was more of a rock, you know, way of songwriting, but um, you know, his voice and his lyrics and all that shaped a lot of, you know, the way I am today too. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I started, I started loving music and playing music because of my mom, you know, was your mom a musician or was she just a lover of music? She couldn't sing a lick to save her life, but she just loved it so much. Like she was so enthralled in the process and the mind of an artist and going to shows and having a good time and the, the liner notes and the album artwork and this, like she was, she was the person that would sit me down and listen and be like, Hey, listen to this baseline or like, Oh, this is my favorite part right here. Or can you, like, how awesome is this, this, this Beatles album or this Alan Jackson song or whatever. It's like, she was just so analytical and such a student of loving music. So she was, she was a total music nerd. Right. hundred percent. I mean, a fan. She was a fan, yeah. a fan first, but she just dove so deep. What did she think of, since she was a, a fan of, of albums, one of the things about your, your debut album, Dark Horse, the artwork is so different than a lot of country uh, yeah. album artwork. It's, uh, it, it, does that come from that too? Yeah, I think that just comes from like being okay with pushing the boundaries and being yourself. And like, like I said, she, because of her taste in music, I drew my influences from so many different sounds, whether, like I said, rock, country, soul, R&B. Um, and I just, you know, I think my most country sensibility is the way I write songs and my lyrics and the way I set up a hook. Um, I think the sound of my music can definitely be a little bit more rock influenced mm-hmm. um, or pop influenced rather than like twangy, I guess. But yeah, I, I think she gave me the license and the confidence to just go out and say, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Even if it is a little bit left field for the norm, like that's just what I do, you know? Um, and I just couldn't see myself in a field with a guitar. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like I just didn't, <laughs> that just didn't make, you know, a lot of so many people's first album is just their face you know, with a guitar in a field. And that's cool too. And, you know, at the end of this, I can tell you about some new music I have coming out that Mm kind of addresses some of those cliches. But um, at the time, like it just wasn't something that I felt like was good for me. And I'm I'm huge into tattoo culture and just, I like to express myself in so many different ways. And I wanted my first album cover to be just like that, you know? And it was, it was a statement. There's the cliche, don't judge a book by its cover, don't judge an album, Mm -hmm. you know, music by an album cover. But in this case, you kind of could. This was something that set you apart immediately and your music is Well, it gives you a little taste of what you're getting into. It's like, don't expect to just expect exactly what you expect. Like, you know, it's like, Take take a chance on it and dig into it and give it a shot and it'll keep you coming back if you want it. You know what I mean? Um, but for those of you who haven't seen it that are listening, essentially it's like this um, hand drawn you know collage um, kind of tattoo style um, mm-hmm. of a bunch of different what I call nuggets from lyrics in the album. Um, you know whether it's uh, the heart that you know the actual beating heart with a chain around it from prison or whether it's you know, the emphasis on the shoulders from all on me, you know, you can lean on me when you need me. Um, war paint, there's like a, you know, kind of white strip going up one of my cheeks. Um, but, you know, you guys, you guys get the picture. It was something that I wanted to represent the entire album in a, in a unique way that I hadn't really seen done before. So, And the cool thing I like hearing, I think that the, the best thing about country as a genre is authenticity um and i think that the country will, will welcome you as long as you are true to yourself and and that's what you're doing and so what you're doing is country yeah i mean you know it's called dark horse like i realize i'm i'm a little left footed and um i come from the from the west coast you know what i mean and a lot of country um you know especially artists these days are which isn't a bad thing you know a lot of them come from georgia or mississippi down in that area and it's like yo like there's a lot of country music from the left coast too. And I'm here to represent that in my own way. And that's what I'll do until the day I'm gone. 
And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on today is you are part of sort of a, a new crop of country artists or country writers, mm-hmm. singers and songwriters mm-hmm. uh, that are coming up and kind of changing things up a little bit. And we've had a chance on this podcast to talk to a lot, lot of established artists and some who are outside of the mainstream, some who are very mainstream. And I want to get your take on what it's like being sort of the the new guy, but you're surrounded by new guys, and you guys are all writing yeah. together. And, a, you know, a, a great example of what you've been able to produce so far is uh, God's Country for Blake Shelton. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like being in high school. Like, I don't think you ever leave high school, you know? Um, <laughs> you kind of, like, for me, I loved high school. I was, I was valedictorian, but I was in a rock band. I was, you know, I kind of into sports a little bit. So, I, you know, I was like, again, a little bit of everything just because I want to experience everything, um, just like my music. And um, it's kind of like that where you just kind of fall into a certain group of people that you hang out with. Like, not necessarily clicky because clicky can in- insinuate some negative things where you don't let people in and it's not that. It's just I came up with this group of guys, um, Mitchell Tenpenny being one of them, uh, Hardy being one of them. You know, and those are just artist writers that I think people would know that are listening. Um, but there's, you know, a handful of other songwriters that I just, we kind of all graduated at the same time, came to Nashville at the same time, started playing writers rounds at the same time, started drinking, you know, and smoking with each other at the same time, and just started kind of, you just, you just slowly round out your group of friends just mm-hmm. on a, on a life level, and everyone has. No, the same aligned goals and we think the same creatively. And so that kind of just brings us together. And then the coolest part of that is that when you write with those people, you're just hanging out and you're just existing, you know, and that's when genius comes when you're trying to do something or you're trying to reach for something. Like you said, the authenticity isn't there and the genius doesn't appear. And I think, you know, genius can be the simplest, most conversational thing in the world, but until you kind of, sometimes I have to trick myself into it, you know, just kind of, almost um, freestyling and just blurting what comes out um, to just really get that honest, deep bag from a writing perspective. But um, it is really cool to see my homies, you know, getting hits with each other. Um, Mitchell's new single is a song I wrote with him. Um, and my friend Kyle, who was in the metal band I was in when I was 15 years old, you know, we've been doing it for that for that long. And it's cool to um, just keep doing what we do. And, and it's being recognized. Um, it's honestly one of the greatest feelings in the world. And we just call it smashes with friends, just writing smashes with friends. It's just, it's just, there's nothing like it. It's so cool. And, and, and the, there's a versatility to it too, because uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the music that you make or that, that Hardy makes, but Joe Tenpenny makes, mm-hmm. it's, it's different. And yet there are absolutely, yeah, there, there, there are threads of, of country in there, but then as songwriters, um, you know, you're writing stuff that isn't necessarily traditional country, but then you pop a song like God's Country, which is, to me, almost a, a, a second coming of a country boy can survive kind of a song. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, so there, you're drawing from all of these different influences. And as a writer, that's got to, like, give you more freedom, right? Yeah, I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves that, like, there's no box. Like, yeah, there's a box, but the box will just come inherently, like, because that's just what we know. And as commercial songwriters, we do this every day. We're, we're trained to go towards that regardless. So if you take off, you know, the thing that you think is there, that, that box that you think is there, then you start mixing rock in there. And then you start getting some, like, like, like literally God's Country is Redneck Hardy meets, you know, like West Coast rock. Like, like heavy metal, you know? Right outside of this one church town, there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country. We pray for rain and thank Him when it's falling, cause it brings a grain and a little bit of money. We put it back in a plate, I guess that's why they call it God's country. I saw the light in a sunrise sitting back in a 40 on the muddy riverside getting baptized in holy water and shine with the dogs running. It's just to me it's about emotion. 
like the emotion of God's country was this like just visceral pride for where you're from, no matter where it is. And that visceral pride just sounds heavy sometimes. It sounds swampy. It sounds energetic because you're just, no one's going to take this. This is God's country. This is where I'm from. This is where you're from, you know? Um, and so it's, I think for me, matching it to the right music that, that, that um, kind of portrays the right emotion is, is part of the thing that makes it transcend beyond just a country lyric, you know? Um, now, you mentioned Kyle. I'm assuming that's Kyle Fishman? Yeah, Kyle Fishman. Sorry. Okay. Um, Kyle, and, Kyle Fishman and I um, and my brother Jacob Durrett, um, who's also on a bunch of songs. He wrote All On Me With Me, and he's got big, 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 big plans for Chris Lane. He's got the um, Ben Burgess Diplo heartbreak song. I mean, we're all kind of popping off on our own little way here, which is really cool. But we were all in a band. We were all in a metal band together when we were, you know, 13, 14 years old. Um, and we've been writing music together for that long. And, you know, it, it took some right turns. And my brother went on tour as a drummer and Kyle went down to LA and I moved to Nashville to go to college and write songs. And they all kind of end up here. And, you know, we all have deals and we all write music together and apart. And it's cool to have the ability to stand on your own foundation successfully as a, as a creator, but then to have the opportunity to get to do that with your with your literal brothers. I mean, it just makes it that much sweeter. Talk about the progression from youthful headbanger to a much mm -hmm. more thoughtful writer. Your band was called, do I have this right, Shadow of the Colossus? Yeah, dude. Now, is, um, is the music that I heard on YouTube, is that you guys? Because that is some scary stuff. Yeah, it's definitely scary. Is that you singing? Um, I really like I'm not singing, no. I just okay. wrote the music, and I played bass. Okay, um, if okay. I was screaming like that, I don't know if I would have I, a singing career. <laughs> I was going to say, tell, tell me one song that we should, like, dip into here. Now, what would be a... Um, what would be... I like um, Still Bilderberg Blood. All right, so, Devin, take us from... Uh, the, the progression of uh, the guy that wrote that song there uh, to the guy that wrote uh, All On Me. And, and All On Me, <laughs> the love song. Man, um, it started out as like when we were 12 years old, we, you know, my next door neighbor had a guitar that was selling in a garage sale and we got obsessed. And then we just all were best friends and we we're like, let's start a band. Let's start a garage band. Everyone choose a different instrument. Like it was probably just to get girls initially, if we're being honest. Um, but we kind of just became obsessed with it and super passionate about it. And we would leave school every day, literally go into the garage and jam and learn together. We would all rise at the same talent level at the same time. And it started off like rock and then it got to kind of heavier rock and then it got to like ACDC and then it got to like Metallica. And then by the end of high school, like we just kept pushing our boundaries. You know, we, we wanted to challenge ourselves and play faster and more heavier and technical and and just really push the boundaries of what you know the metal culture was asking for um just to see how far we could get you know and by the end of high school we ended up playing like heavy death metal um and we had a really really good following like on the you know western side of the united states uh we went on tour for you know four or five years after high school got signed made a couple albums um and just kind of it you know did that and, and and went for it and i remember being in the front of the van that we were touring and one day like saying to the guys like i'm never gonna stop rocking like i'm always gonna play metal for my entire life you know <laughs> and then five years go by and you know it's it's very it's the absolute antithesis of glamorous like it's it's slum touring you know 150 dollars a night split between five guys 12 hour drives like there's no money in it and there's if you're not doing it for the passion then you shouldn't be doing it you know and I got to a place where I was just really exhausted creatively with that music, and I had grown out of it. Um, I think something else to note is that I was, you know, in relationships at the time, not just working on my career, and, and, and really, really got my heart broke for the first time, um, kind of during the time the band was kind of ending or I wanted to not do the band anymore. And so I had two huge parts of my life um, leave, you know, and mm -hmm. that's, Hard and I was moving out. I was, you know, I, I, I moved out of my house. My dad kicked me out when I was like 16, 17. You know, there's so many things that kind of just 
made me turn towards something more meaningful. And so I went back to a lot of the country songs that I grew up listening to with my mom, just because that's where that, you know, I needed a leaving song. I needed a heartbreak song. I needed something to feel and listen to that. I knew I wasn't the only one that had felt that, you know? Um, and so I started just writing my own songs, acoustic, just literally from my heart, just not even thinking of what they sounded like, just like, this is what I need to write about right now. This is where my creative, you know, compass is pointing. And I started writing these songs and they just came out like country songs or what, I guess my version of what that is. And, and, and what I said earlier is more, it's more about the lyric and the word hooks and, and, and the setup and the form of the song. Um, definitely mo- melodically and sonically too, but for me, more of my country influence comes from peeling back the layers and just punching somebody in the gut with words, you know? Um, and that's just something I fell in love with to like the ninth degree more than I'd ever fall in love with anything else when it came to music. And so, um, I, you know, wrote a handful of those songs, kind of got out of the band, you know, found a place to live for a year in California, worked all these odd jobs. I worked at Home Depot. Um, I worked at a feed store bailing hay. Um, I went to culinary school for a couple months. Like I tried to just figure out what it was that I was going to do if it wasn't music. And I quickly found out that there's nothing else I was put on this earth to do other than write songs and sing them. And you don't know um, how many, how many times I've heard that from other songwriters, that exact, almost that exact kind of wording. And we're all kind of aligned, man. It's just like, you know, sometimes your dad or your parents or your family tells you, you need to find something secure and you find it and you're miserable, you know? Um, and, and for me, I was going to write songs either way. Cause I have to, it's not because I necessarily want to, but I'm lucky enough to get to do that and, and, and be able to support myself and my family, um, with that, which is not, you know, always the case. I know I'm very, very lucky. Um, but it did take that first initial like light switch of like, all right, I don't give a fuck. Like whatever happens, this is what I'm doing. I'm moving to Nashville. I'm writing country music. I'm writing my own songs. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to make my own mark. I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to bring a little bit of the West Coast, you know, to Nashville in the scene. And, um, you know, fast forward, figuring out finding a deal and having the snowball and figuring out some stuff and writing some songs. Um, You know, wrote All On Me on a Sunday with my guitar player, again, with my best friends. Um, Just wanted to write a love song about being there for somebody no matter what. And... Yeah, I know that the woes and the weight of the world can get inside our minds and be too much sometimes, I know. But baby, don't let the nose and the ups and the downs from the roller coaster ride beat you up inside. Baby, don't. But if you ever feel that way, don't you ever hesitate. You got my number, you can call on me If you in trouble, put the fall on me When you're mad, you take it out on me When it don't add up, you count on me When you're low, come get high on me Make it slow, take your time on me Settle in, let it out, come and lay on me When it gets heavy, put the weight on me Baby, put it all on me Put it all on me that was the first one that you know we wanted to introduce to the world just because it kind of had a little bit of everything it had a meaningful lyric that wasn't too heavy had a nice groove you can move to and a melody that you'd remember you know and so um i think the transition point is just that heartbreak in that i kind of it was almost a renaissance back to the music that i grew up listening to that i was fulfilled by that i needed to still be creatively fulfilled by rather than just singing about dragons and politics and shit, you know? <laughs> were you surprised that you enjoyed that kind of songwriting or that you were good at that kind of songwriting? No, because it was real. Um, I, I, was, I think I was surprised by, like, it was almost like a math equation in my heart. Like, all these different things came in where there was, like, country music, rock music, soul music, acoustic music, R&B, all these things were in my heart and I didn't know, I wasn't trying to sound like anything. I was literally just writing like to, like for therapy. Like I didn't expect any of these songs to really 
get out and they were or for have anybody else to be hearing them. They were just for my own sanity so I could get it out and get on, you know. Um, but then I think after I realized how much they helped me, I, I realized that maybe they would help somebody else, you know. You sound like you had quite a bit of uh, swagger when you went to Nashville. I'm bringing, you know, West Coast style to, mm-hmm. to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, inside, how confident were you? Well, I I was definitely confident because I'd had success and I knew I had the work ethic and I knew I had the passion. Um, and there's something about moving to a new town. It's it's a little bit of you can be whoever you want to be and a little bit of you can be exactly who you are. You know, and I think sometimes when you're caught up in a hometown and looking at what other people are doing that are growing up and getting jobs and da 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 it's like, you know, you kind of do what you think you need to be doing because your dad or whatever. And it's like you move to a new town, you can be whoever the fuck you want. You can be exactly <laughs> who you are. You know what I'm saying? It's yes. like a little bit of both. The other part of it was that because I'd spent four or five years touring um, after high school. And then I went to Nashville to go to college at Belmont. I was 22 or 23 when I started and, you know, 18 year olds in the dorms and 18 year olds in the class. So Mm -hmm. I kind of had a little bit more life experience and I had messed up a lot to know what I didn't want to do ever again, you know? Right. Um, and so I think that added to the confidence of navigating these streets, you know, from a newcomer, I guess. You're you're a great vocalist, but you have uh, said yourself you feel like you're fifty one percent songwriter, forty nine percent singer, and you're having success as a songwriter right now. Are you yeah. at all like torn? Do I want to keep? Are you just kind of rolling with it? Um, I don't think I'm torn. I mean, I'm always going to make music. I'm always going to sing songs. I'm always going to be an artist. Um, but I don't want to do something just to be successful. Like I want to do something that makes me happy. And if that's successful, then that's awesome. Like I'm obviously going to find that balance and, you know, try to figure out what percentage of commerciality I put into the songs I sing as an artist. Um, But, you know, I think the only reason that you maybe lean towards my songwriting right now is because I haven't put out a song as an artist in three years, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that changes as soon as I put out new music, you know, and that's what drives everything. But, um, the way I describe that is there's people that are born to sing and then there's people that figure it out and I figured it out. You know what I mean? Like I worked really hard to find my voice. I didn't, I wasn't born with this natural innate, just, range or something you know i've figured out what i work what works for me really well and how i can find the emotion and still push myself but still be precise enough and all of that and and, you know i'm a perfectionist just like anyone else but i just when i'm writing a song man it's just i don't know i just i'm more about i write every day you know what i mean like i don't go play a show every day right now at least Mm -hmm. so it's like i just 5149, that's the best way I can describe it, man. And some some people say singer-songwriter. I say songwriter-singer. <laughs> I like that. And you're a great songwriter. One of my favorite lyrics of yours Thank you, dude. is from uh, Dark Horse, where uh, you said, it ain't that I'm self-conscious, I'm just conscious of myself. People always ask why I wear black, where'd I get my style, and why I never smile in pictures. They ask me what I drink, I sip on anything, but I'm a little more California smoke than liquor. No, it ain't that I'm self-conscious, I'm just conscious of myself. Outside with the outsiders, those long shot last round fighters, anyone who ain't afraid to stray off course. My heart bleeds for country music Where the honest outlaw truth is No, I ain't no white knight I'm a little more dark horse The things that get me off as a songwriter are the things that you've never heard but you instantly know everyone can relate to. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to find that piece of gold in the mountain that people have been searching for they didn't even know they were searching for. Like, I want to find a perspective that no one's ever heard but everyone can relate to. I want to reinvent the wheel every day and that's, it's impossible to do that, you know? (laughs) But when you get on that thing 
and I just have this desire to be different. And it's not just to it's not just to be different. It's because I am. Like I just have this innate thing to do it in a different way, but that still impacts the entire world. And that's the holy grail for me. Do your songwriting friends, colleagues, do they help you uh, find that gold? Yes, I need help. If I write by myself, I will write the smartest, like, holy crap, I didn't think about that. You know what I mean? But, like, it's just, it goes over a lot of people's heads. And it's like, it takes me a couple weeks to write it because I'm a thinker. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I think to find that commercial balance and still have the boxes checked for me as an artist for something I'm going to sing for 50 years, I need co-writing. I need people around me. I need somebody else to, like, just – sometimes it's just nice to have somebody there saying that's cool or that's not cool because when you're writing by yourself, you just don't know sometimes, you know? Right. Um, and I just find that I write different songs when I'm by myself. They're very introspective and they're very – smart and they're very like they're they're asking a lot of the listener which hopefully means that they come back rather than get turned off and say i don't know what he's talking about like for example i'll tell you two songs that i've written by myself during quarantine i wrote a song called april because april sucked april was horrible for everyone you know um but i try to i try to put themes into relationship um pictures so that people can digest them so i wrote a song about a girl named april and i and i always wanted to write a name song but i didn't think it would sound like a sad song it's like the idea of this song is every time i hear her name like it breaks my heart again i always wanted to write me a name song like sweet melissa But I never thought it would sound like a sad song, more like Cecilia. But different things mean different things to people. You could say that the pain is relative. Every time that I hear someone say April, all it ever does is break my heart again, break it all over again. But towards the end of the song, it gets to this point where it's like, maybe I could, maybe I could convince these words and music to like change the way I think about her so that April isn't just the name of the girl that broke my heart. It's just another song I wrote. Like, so when I think about her, it's like, oh, that's when I hear that name. It's, it's like new association to a name. See, and again, I'm just explaining all of it. It's like it's just this big idea that I'm so obsessed with that I love. But it feels more like a side project thing that I would do on my own just to get out rather than something that I know is, you know, checks all the boxes of commerciality. But at the same time, I don't want to ever push down something that I'm inspired by, so I gotta get it out, you know? Maybe I'll always be her fool Maybe I'll always be Oh, but maybe Maybe I could convince these words and music To do away with April that I Maybe then it wouldn't be the name of the girl that broke my heart It'd be just the name of another song I wrote Just another song I wrote Guess I got me a name song Think I'll call it April Social media is is a great outlet for that, too, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think something, especially during quarantine, that we've all done is just posted demos and posted unreleased things. I wrote this song um, for my dad and my grandpa and my brother called For As Long As I Can Remember. Beautiful song. Um, it's just straight country song, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just straight up country song. And 
you know, the big idea for me that I really, when I hear the title for as long as I can remember, like everyone knows that catchphrase. Everyone knows what that means. And so how do you hook that in a certain way? And I wanted to get to a point where it was talking in future tense, not past tense. So it's like, for as long as I can remember, my dad got up before the sun and he's always taking his coffee black and all of this, you know what I mean? But I wanted to get to a point where it referenced the future. So it's like, I'm going to be this way for as long as I can remember. For as long as I can remember The sun wasn't up before dad Is always taking coffee black And Monday morning strong For as long as I can remember It's been a bottle up on the fridge Kitchen tables where his Bible sits Where they both belong Some things will always be a certain way Just like him, I want to be the kind of man The wind can't change I'll be my father's son till I wake up On the other side of forever It's all I ever wanted to be For as long as I can remember Yep. What he taught me, who I am. Like, I'm going to do this for as long as I... It's, you put it in the, in the future tense now, and then all of a sudden it becomes something that nobody's heard that way. And, and you know? the, the way that you put it, I actually wrote it down because I wanted to ask you about it. You have a line, you want to be the, the kind of man the wind can't change. Yeah, just, just, just like my dad. Beautiful lyric. Thank you, man. I mean, I bawled my freaking eyes out. I wrote with this um, amazing songwriter named Connie Harrington, and she wrote, I Drive Your Truck. She wrote, mine would be you. She wrote, um, you know, I get the boy. All of these amazing songs that you love. Um, and I just, I bring certain titles to her because I know that she just isn't going to know exactly what to do with it. Um, and we wrote the first verse and chorus, you know, and we didn't know it was going to be about my dad. Like initially it was like, you know, like, this is who I am, this is why I am the way I am, and then it got to a point where it's like, well, why are you the way you are? It's because of the way you were raised, you know, and um, it kind of just took a turn to be what it wanted to be, um, and that's a beautiful, crazy thing about songs, is they just have a mind of their own. Um, but second verse and second chorus, we started talking about my brother, and I, and her brother passed away a couple years ago, and there's a line that says, um, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll be my brother's keeper, you know, because he's been that for me for as long as I can remember. And I have a twin brother. And it's just, we're just bawling over Zoom. I'm just crying. I'm like, God damn it, Connie, why do you do this to me? Every time? <laughs> Some things will always be a certain way. Just like them, I want to be a kind of man. The wind can't change. From now till kingdom come and we catch the the thing is it's like that's where i gravitate towards but not every song on a project can be that way like you, you know not everyone wants to cry all day long but you know if they cry they buy so there's that but it is just um i don't know i just i need friends i need people around me to balance me because sure. i will go dark and i will go very heady and i just that's just what i am drawn to and that's what my heart is drawn to but that's the beauty of co-writing and that's the beauty of friends is that we pull the best out of each other because you can't see yourself you can't see yourself even when you're looking in the mirror you're only looking at what you know you can't see yourself and you need your homies to help see you even when you're looking in the mirror, that that's a line right there. You can't really see I yourself. I know. I can't help it, dude. I just, <laughs> I, just I can't help it. Is uh, for as long as I can remember, is that going to be part of your your new album? Because honestly, I'm just a radio guy, but that song's a hit. I know. Thank you, dude. Um, it's not going to be part of this next release, but it will be part of the one after that. It's something I wrote like literally two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Okay. Um, and I've spent I've spent from August to March in the studio recording, you know, what's going to be the next album or release of songs. 
Um, new song, I think, is going to be coming out mid-August. Um, and it's a song called I Got a Truck. And it's the, what I was talking about earlier is I love the fact that you would not pin me for the guy that's going to sing a song about a truck, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not really about a truck. It's about everything that it represents. It's like, it's like an iceberg. It's 10% above water, 90% below. Everybody needs to be believed in at least once in their lives. Everybody needs to come to Jesus moment in time. I could think up a couple reasons why this should be mine. Cause I got a song, I got something to say. It's a song that was inspired by one of my conversations I had with Tim McGraw while we were on tour. Um, and it's kind of a song I wrote for him as a, as a thank you for inspiring me end of tour gift. Cause it's like, what do you buy somebody like Tim McGraw? You can't buy anything for him to say thanks, you know. Um, but it's kind of his, his story of how he got started in Nashville. Um, you know, with my own story of how I got started in Nashville, because there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities. I, you know, I had this old Chevy truck that I drove from California and packed everything I had into it. And again, um, it's kind of similarities between his story, my story, and I think a lot of people's stories. You know, you can you can hear it just for the truck if you want, but if you want to dive deeper and you want more from it, it'll be there to give it to you. So. Is it a difficult process picking songs that are going to be on your album and picking songs that you're going to set aside to shop around? How do you do that? I think it's easier for me because what I do is inherently different than maybe that straight up down the center thing, you know? Um, And so I think... You know, whereas like maybe Cole Swindell or Luke Bryan or something, you know, who, you know, Luke Bryan wrote, you know, that Billy Currington Turnip Greens song. Did you know that? Yep. Good direction. Cole Swindell's written up. Yeah, good directions. There it is. I was chewing on a phone on a flatbed truck. I was crunching on a pork rind when she pulled up. Oh, my God. I love that song. It's so good. (laughs) Classic country. Um, But, you know, all these, a lot of artists, Thomas Rhett being one of them, are just incredible writers. Um, but maybe it might be hard for them when they just have their own kind of ingrained thing. And I just, I go a little against the grain sometimes, you know, the thing that I find that's difficult is when I think it's the song that's a pitch, but my manager or my A&R person at, um, at Warner or something is like, you might need to give this one a second listen, Dev. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And I think I learned a lot about that with God's Country. God's Country was never a song that I was going to put on hold for myself. It was never a song I was going to cut. If anything, Hardy was going to do it because, it, you know, he sang the demo and it's more in his kind of, you know, redneck vein, I guess. But mm-hmm. the cool thing about God's Country and, and the life of that is that it taught me that whatever I'm singing, if I'm singing it, it's a Devin Dawson song. If the song is dope and you like it, you wrote it, God forbid, just sing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so there's, but dude, I'm, you know, I'm a king of overthinking and all that. You know, I think artists and songwriters kind of just are that way sometimes. But um, that's a song title, too. But, king, king of overthinking. Oh, I know, dude. Straight up. It just <laughs> comes out. But it is, you know, um, I think it's important to listen to the people that are around you. You know, there's a reason I picked my manager to be my manager. There's a reason I picked my label to be my label. It's because we're aligned. 
and I trust them and I listen to them. I'm not saying I'm going to agree with everything you say, but if you tell me to give the song a second look, I'm going to give it a second look. And there's songs that we recorded on this album that maybe I would have pitched that I'm so glad that we didn't because it really satisfies that middle ground that I need sometimes rather than just asking so much of my of my listener it's it's interesting i feel like i'm a i feel like me as a listener and me as a writer are two different people um and i'm trying to get closer to bringing those people together when i listen like i really like conversational like easy to digest but still deep deep ideas but as a writer i find myself you know wanting to push the boundaries even more and i and i'm very i'm asking a lot of my listener and i'm trying to get them closer together but then I don't want to overthink too much about it. I just want to write a song. You know what I mean? That's interesting. you got a real kind of dichotomy going on there. Are there songwriters in Nashville, established songwriters, that um, whose work you maybe look to for inspiration or, I don't know, just... Uh, uh, I'm on a huge, huge, huge Jason Isbell kick right now. Poison oak, poison ivy, dirty jokes blew right by me. Mama curling up beside me, crying to herself. Why can't daddy just come home? Forget whatever he did wrong. He's in a hotel all alone and we need help. Dreams circle on a summer night in a folding chair. I think he's insane. I think insane in a good way. I think his writing is incredible. He does it all by himself. He's kind of on the line of John Mayer for me where it's like, mm-hmm. guy plays guitar, guy sings incredible. You know, he writes it all by himself. It's all very unique, but it's undeniable, you know. But honestly, like, this this might sound dumb, but, like, when it comes to songwriters in Nashville that I look up to, it's my friends. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think Hardy is literally one of the most unreal talents I've ever experienced in my life. And, like, he might say that about me, too. I don't know. But it's just, like, the way that he pulls a song out of the ether, the way that he, like pulls what he wants to say from nothing and it becomes what it is, is absolutely incredible. And his sense of radio and his sense of melody and lyric and everything. It's just, I think he's about to change the game even more than he has. But I think we're all just in a, in a nice, friendly competition, you know? It's like, I want to write a song that Hardy's going to be like, damn it, Devin. I want to write a song that Mitchell's going to be like, <laughs> damn it, Devin, you know? Um, and, and, and that's really all it is. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to beat my homies, and then we can drink beer about it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a, it's not a huge thing. Um, but I love that. Yeah, you, you, guys are, you guys are totally comfortable with who you are, the kind of music you're, mm-hmm. you're writing and making, and you're not trying to follow in anybody else's footsteps. You're doing your own thing, and that's, that's why you're successful. There's a difference between learning from somebody's path and following in their footsteps. You can learn from the things that have been paved and and take that from you. But like, sometimes you got to take a little detour. You know what I mean? If it feels right. Speaking of the difference, how did you hook up with Tyler Rich for uh, his hit? The difference, another Northern California. Was that the Northern California connection or did you guys, how did that uh, happen? It didn't really have much to do with that. Tyler didn't write that with us. Um, It was me, my brother, Ben Burgess, and Rhett Akins, this new guy that nobody that nobody knows about, he'll be big one day. Um, <laughs> Rhett Akins, he's got thirty number ones. Yeah, um, and, and then it wasn't enough for him. He had to have a kid that would write more. I know it was, it's a star. It's, I know Thomas Rhett's a spinoff it's, of, of Rhett. Akins. It's it's the perfect like conveyor belt. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and they're so honest, and those guys are so good. Like it's just so cool. It's like that's the dream. Like I would sit down on a couch at the end of the day and be like, "Is this real?" If I was him, you know. But anyways, we, we, we were talking about the dumb idea of, like, Ben Burgess every time he would say bye to me or be like, love you. Like, love you, homie. Like, you know, and I was like, there's something funny about, like, love you. It's, like it's like you're scared to say I love you or something, you know. <laughs> um, and so we just talked about the difference between when you say love you and I love you, whether it's a text or whether it's in person. It's like there's this kind of new age culture between like kind of getting away with saying it or no period or whatever. Like you, you say, I love you with no period at the end. It's like, you know, there's differences and, it, and they mean something. And 
And, and most importantly, girls think they mean something. Guys don't really care, but girls think they mean something. So right. we just dug into this idea of like telling this girl, like, hey, like, you know, I don't want you to just be this girl that I, you know, say like, yeah, whatever, we could do whatever. It's like, yo, I'm taking you out tonight. It's not just like sit out. It's like I'm dancing. It's like all these things. It's like I want to be the difference between this and this because like you deserve to have the full three words, not just the two ones that kind of slip and slide off the tongue. Out of sleeping on us. I'm over dodging this crush. I'm sick of waiting 10 minutes just to text it back. So you don't get to thinking that I'm too attached to more than benefit friends. I'm more than just a weekend binge. I want you to be my hottie, riding shotty. I don't want nobody's body, but your body, babe. All I'm trying to say is there's a difference between this and I miss your face. Yeah, there's a difference in what's going on And baby, how was your day? Yeah, there's a hell of a difference in saying three words Or kind of just meaning to Yeah, there's a difference in love, yeah And I love you And I want to be the difference Yeah, I do And so we wrote that, and initially, um, Rhett, sorry, Rhett Aiken sent it to his son And Thomas had it on hold, and they actually cut it for his album but it didn't make the the final, you know, chopping block or whatever, Blood in the Streets. Um, and then same A&R, same label, sent it to Tyler. And, you know, he kind of was like, yo, would you guys mind if I recorded this? And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, you know, like we have such a connection already. And it kind of spoke to where he was with his fiance at the time and um, Sabina. And it just it just was this kind of organic process where from the outside you would see it being like, oh, he's from California and he's from, like, that's how it did, you know. But it was really this organic thing that doesn't happen a lot but just makes it the best. Devin, I can't thank you enough for taking a little bit of time today to uh, to be on this podcast. Super good stuff. No worries. Thank you, man. I, I hope I didn't talk too much. And um, Never. we can do part two some other time. And, you know, there's always more things to say. And I can't wait to start you know, playing some new music for the first time in a couple years. And, it's man, it's a good time to be alive. And I miss you guys, and I guess I'll see you soon. I'm about to go golf, so wish me hitting, hitting them straight. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Cool. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, too. And that'll do it for this month's edition of Write You a Song. Thank you again to Devin Dawson for checking in, and thank you for checking us out. If you like the podcast, take a moment, share it with your songwriting friends, and give it a like, give it a positive review. Really appreciate it. Write You a Song is a production of Bonneville International. It's recorded at the studios of KNCI Radio in Sacramento, California. And next month on Write You a Song, she wrote one of the most iconic songs of the last 30 years across multiple genres. But she's had some other hits, too. Grammy Award-winning Tia Sillers, next time on Write You a Song.